I'm Father Mitch Packle, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. Tonight, we'll learn how a pig in the church sanctuary inspired a renewed devotion to the rosary in Quebec, and how two miracles inspired the faith to grow in Canada and throughout North America. You can see the full history of the story behind the shrine at Cap de la Madeleine in Quebec, Canada, later tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern Time when EWTN premieres the documentary called Bridge of Roses, the story of Our Lady of the Cape. Here's a sneak preview and just please take a look. I looked down, and it was as if we were walking on water. From the shores of the St. Lawrence River comes a story of saints and miracles. I kept pushing my cane through the snow. I could feel the rushing current of the river. If you give us a miracle of a nice bridge, we'll keep the small church and devote it to you for it to become a shrine. It was a miraculous bridge of ice to carry stones across the river for the new church. Like Guadalupe, Fatima, and Lourdes, Our Lady of the Cape steps into time itself. Suddenly her face became animated. Her eyes, usually downcast, are open. To bring back a church that had been abandoned by the people. He goes into the chapel and he discovers a pig chewing on a rosary. The rosary falls from men's hands to be picked up by the swine. I fell to my knees in prayer. Introducing Bridge of Roses, the remarkable story of the beginnings of the faith in North America, its missionaries, miracles, and special relationship with the Mother of God. Heaven chose this plot of land and made it a center of Marian devotion. She would be known as Our Lady of the Cape, Queen of the Most Holy Rosary. It wasn't a bridge of ice holding us up. It was a bridge of rosaries. This little house of God will be too small to contain the power and the bounty of the sweet virgin of the most holy rosary. Here to tell us more about this story, please welcome our two guests. One joining us via Skype from the shrine of Our Lady of the Cape in Trois-Rivières, Quebec, Canada. Please welcome the executive producer of the Bridge of Roses documentary, Mr. Dennis Girard. Dennis? Great to be and, with you. Thank you, Father Mitch. Thank you. And joining us in the studio here in Arndale, Alabama, please welcome the Bridge of Roses documentary producer and director, Mr. Kevin Dunn. Kevin, welcome. Yeah, it's good to be back, Father. Thanks good for having to, us. Good to have you back here yeah, again. Always a pleasure. Yeah, it's a delight to have you. And this is a, a wonderful documentary that you've done. And uh, you filmed it in Canada and much of it at the shrine or nearby, correct? Yes, that is correct, yeah. We, with the support of the Oblates there, it's, uh, um, yeah, it, it was quite, uh, quite, quite a feat to do it, not only uh, not only just to do this historical film, but also to do it during a pandemic yes. uh, and to get all the actors together and everything that we needed. It really, uh, Our Lady 
she wanted this film to be done. Every time we turned around and had an obstacle, boom, it was overcome. Okay. This is, um, uh, I think, an important uh, documentary as well because it's not just an historical looking back, but this is also a challenge. We'll talk more about that challenge. Um, in terms of uh, some of the past, Dennis, you there? Yes. Can you great, hear me? Great, great. Uh, I, you have a, a pretty good background on, uh, or, or feed on the background of this event. And it began with Jacques Cartier. Who was Jacques Cartier? So uh, Jacques Cartier was a French explorer. And the interesting thing about his story is, is if you can imagine, he actually plants a cross at Three Rivers on October 7th, 1535. And that is, of course, 36 years prior to what would become the Battle of Lepanto and the Feast of Our Lady of Victory first, and now obviously we celebrate as the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. So even prophetically speaking, you know, salvation history was already being put in place through Jacques Cartier. As a matter of fact, we have a little clip about him. Let me, let's play that clip from the, uh, the documentary. Like all of salvation history, God sets the groundwork centuries before his plan is ready to unfold. Let's think about Jacques Cartier. He was an explorer, of course, who came over from France. And in 1535, he finds himself right in Three Rivers. He plants a cross on one of these islands. And he does this on October 7th, 1535 which prophetically ends up being the Feast of the Holy Rosary 36 years later at the Battle of Lepanto. Perhaps the most important naval battle in history was the Battle of Lepanto. It would save the Christian West from defeat at the hands of the Ottoman Turks. On the eve of the battle, the men of the Rosary Confraternity and the Holy League got down on their knees to pray the Rosary. In Rome and all through Italy, churches were filled as the faithful did the same. Yes, this David and Goliath-like battle, which took place off the coast of Greece, was won by the world's most powerful weapon, the Holy Rosary. Pondering on this heavenly coincidence, James Shaw writes, Long before there was any thought in the minds of men that someday this shrine would rise, we can see in light of our present knowledge, the Mother of God had chosen this place for special blessing. In this Battle of Lepanto, so folks understand, was an attempt by the Ottoman Turkish Empire to invade Italy and the general and the sultan of the Turks had sworn an oath to turn St. Peter's Basilica into a mosque as their predecessors uh, 120 years earlier had done to Hagia Sophia in Constantinople. That's where, why that battle was so important. If they'd won, the West would have been open to a total invasion by the Turks, correct? That's right. 
And we still, and in fact, just in a couple of days, we'll be celebrating that great feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, as it's called now. Um, to, and asking, and this is a big part of the celebration at the shrine uh, in Canada, Travier, right? That's correct. And so just to dial back to 1571, of course, it was Pope Pius V, who was a Dominican, mm-hmm. who actually reached out to the Rosary Confraternity in Rome. So even then, you know, we see the hand of God setting up the Confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary as this incredibly powerful force for not only winning battles uh, that are physical in nature, but I would say even more so spiritual in nature, Mm -hmm. battles for our hearts. Mm -hmm. And certainly we'll uh, expand on that greater uh, still as we go forward, Father Mitch. Yes, yes. Now, in terms of the shrine, um, Cartier's planting of a cross there at that site was... A fairly early event. 1535 is pretty early. Um, and the, how did this all develop? So a hundred years later, you, you find the Jesuits coming to uh, take possession of the land. And of course, the, the film does open up with the story. It's a remarkable story of Father Jacques Bouteau, who was a Jesuit missionary who uh, basically... Um, used, the means that he used was the Holy Rosary to evangelize. And amazingly enough, a First Nations chief from the Atikamex really had a powerful conversion experience. And if you can imagine, goes a hundred miles upriver and preaches the gospel by way of the rosary. And a couple of years later, this would be 1651, we find Father Jacques Bouteau making his way to the village and he was shocked. I remember reading the account just weeping because I could just imagine Father Jacques coming upon this village where they'd never seen a priest. Uh, of course, one of your brother Jesuits, Father, uh, Father Mitch. And here he is coming across people who know their beads and are even praying for the repose of the souls of the dead on the rosaries. It's remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's beautiful that, that he knew at that time, that was the time of, uh, uh, that was the time of St. Jean de Brebeuf and St. Isaac Jogues, uh, because the capital of Madeleine, uh, that, that area, that was kind of the hub before they went out into Huronia. So a lot of them would pass through that area. Uh, a lot of these saints, these martyrs, these Canadian martyrs. But, uh, but the sad one, that I say sad, because uh, I got to know Jacques Bouteau very much as, we, as I researched and, and wrote the film and, and, uh, and found, you know, Jacques Bouteau, uh, a Jesuit martyr, he was kind of never really recognized within the Canadian martyrs. So I felt a real, uh, a real onus. Uh, the real onus was put on uh, put on the film to celebrate this 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 man, this martyr, this early Canadian martyr who would have rubbed shoulders with the with the great uh, great saints um, Isaac Jogues and and Saint John de Brebeuf and companions. Yeah, yeah, no, that that was um, one of the part of this that sort of surprised me. Uh, because, uh, again, later on this month, on the 17th, we'll celebrate the North American martyrs, uh, some of whom had died in Canada, some in upstate New York. And, you know, uh, I hadn't heard of Bouteau. Yeah. 
I, I remember when I was uh, at, my, at my computer and I was writing that little piece and I told Dennis this story. I was looking out the window, I think it was, it was the winter time when I was writing, and I was just, just enamored with this story of this beautiful Jesuit martyr. And I, and I kind of felt in my head uh, uh, Father Jacques Bouteau saying to me, just, you're the only person in the world who's thinking about me right now. Yeah. And that was one of, the, one of those beautiful moments where it was like there's a saint in heaven that, that well, there's so many unsung heroes, and he was one of them for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, as far as, because this was before Canada, this was before the U.S. This is the new world. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so it's... Uh, it's a part of both of our heritage, both Americans and Canadians. Right. I mean, at this time uh, that, uh, that he was there, and uh, Isaac Jogue and uh, Jean de Brebeuf and uh, Gabriel Lallemand, yeah. all this was New France. And, you know, there were a few English colonies uh, in New England that got started in Virginia. But, you know, everything was pretty small for Europeans. But the missionaries were out there to spread bring the gospel of Christ. In a servant capacity. They yeah. were servants. They worked the land. They worked with these people. And this is an untold story as well. Yeah. You know, so much we hear about colonialism and all this. And, and, and while some of that is true, when it came to our Jesuit martyrs, when it came to our Jesuit, these were servants. These were true, true apostles of Christ in a servant role. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And you know, one, I think this element of the rosary to evangelize is a very important part of this documentary and what it's saying to us today about the need to pray the rosary and use the rosary to evangelize. That's important. Now, how did this shrine then develop after Father Bouteau? Dennis, you want to take that one? Uh, yes, I, I, absolutely. So what takes place is in the late 1600s, the first resident pastor, uh, Pastor Paul Vachon, um, resides at the shrine, and he establishes the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary in 1694. Now, of course, he has to petition the Master General of the Dominican Order because only the Master General can establish the confraternity. You see, the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary was entrusted to the Dominicans over 500 mm -hmm. years ago. So Pastor Paul Vachon establishes the confraternity and his second big uh, uh, sort of contribution is the building of the stone chapel where we have many friends there tonight actually watching the broadcast in, in the stone chapel. So I can just imagine what it's like for them hearing about the story being in the actual building built by uh, Pastor Paul Vachon. And then something incredible happens. I mean, he dies and the faith literally dies with him for over a hundred years. But if we could backtrack, because you raised an interesting point, uh, Father Mitch, about the rosary itself. And what we have to remember is uh, back then, of course, there's no, uh, there, there's no Bible that's being widely propagated. I mean, this was the Bible on the string. And when you think of the components of the rosary, I mean, it just made sense that this was a way for people to keep on track with obviously the mysteries of the Lord, uh, uh, you know, of the life and death and resurrection of the Lord, uh, as well as the creed. 
And of, and of course, uh, big, the, the biggest uh, moment in salvation history, of course, is the incarnation. So the Hail Mary is obviously a very big part of the rosary. So this was a way for folks to truly evangelize and be able to transmit the faith in a very powerful way. And what the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary really does is joins us in an ecclesial way so that instead of praying the rosary on our own, we're praying the rosary in an ecclesial fashion with, with everyone else who's enrolled in the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary. It's incredibly efficacious for the conversion of souls. In the good old days, uh, there was no <laughs> there was no internet, right? We we were we were really reliant on that confraternity to bring the souls together in the church in a real unified way. And 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 uh, what Dennis is doing is just remarkable with the Marian devotional movement is bringing that back at a time when we need it so much. We need Our Lady now. I know my mother who's watching out there somewhere. She she would agree. <laughs> she's been she's been promoting the Rosary uh, her sure. whole life. And uh, we need it now more than ever because Our Lady said by one day she will save the world through the rosary and the scapular. And this is something that I, I think, uh, again, is a, a part of this challenge that your documentary gives us. Um, in fact, let me show you a little clip about the confraternity. Let's just take a look at that because people might want to join it. The Confraternity of the Holy Rosary is it's an ecclesial spiritual association to promote the rosary. And it requires simply enrolling your name and promising to pray one full rosary, traditionally, which was, you know, the, the joyful, the sorrowful, and the glorious mysteries in, in a week. I was fascinated to, to discover that it was actually St. Dominic himself who formed this association of prayer. And so when you come together to pray this form of prayer, it has power. And throughout the centuries, the Dominicans in particular would be the ones to renew it, and eventually it would, it would acquire the name, the Confraternity of Prayer, especially through a, a, a famed Dominican named Blessed Alan de la Roche who sought to resurface this after the Black Death, the Black Plague in Europe, and it spread everywhere. Even kings were joining the confraternity of the Rosary. The confraternity is such a beautiful gift and is called a union of fraternal charity by Pope Leo XIII. Even though we're separated by distances, we are united in love, in charity. And the one who holds us together is God, who is charity itself. God is love. We're not united by Zoom links. We're not united by the internet, but we're united by friendship. We're united by love, and above all, by the love of God. And because it's a spiritual association, we believe it unites the members to one another. So now instead of praying the rosary all by myself, even when I pray it alone, I am united to all the members of the confraternity. Even if you're lying on your sickbed, even if you're at home, indeed, even if you're in prison, because we have confraternities of the rosary in prisons, even then, you can reach out through barriers, through walls, through physical distances, 
and go in a pilgrimage together. So this country, yeah, please. Can I cut in? So Kevin was speaking about just how this film has put to, been put together. Really, it's supernaturally infused. I got to point out a couple of things. Don't let me forget about your connection to the film that you would not even know about, because this is important that your viewers, that our viewers know that this is Mary's blueprint. This is not the machinations of man, and I hope that we can make that very, very plain. So the first thing I want to point out, and Father Lawrence Liu, who is the promoter general of the Rosary, he alluded to Pope Leo XIII. He is the great Rosary Pope. He is the one who penned all of these encyclicals on the Holy Rosary. In particular, the one in 1893, Letitia Sancta, and I really recommend that as a reading. Get this, tell me if this doesn't sound like today. He said the ills of the day, and we're talking about 1893, were that there was a distaste for domestic life. There was a distaste for suffering, and there was a lack of concern for thinking about eternal life. Sound like today? Yeah. And he, he goes about explaining how the joyful mysteries bring, obviously, dignity to the domestic life through the Holy Family, the life of the Holy Family. Obviously, the sorrowful mysteries, the redemptive suffering of Jesus. Obviously, there is tremendous value in suffering. And then, of course, the glorious mysteries. And the glorious mysteries point us toward heaven. Because all that matters while we're here is Really, that last breath, where are you going at that last breath? And that's what Pope Leo XIII was pointing us to. Now, many times when you read commentary on Laetitia Sancte, they leave out the last two paragraphs. And I really believe Pope Leo XIII is looking down and saying, praise be to God that this is finally taking root, that he recommended and encouraged that the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary be established everywhere and especially where it is not yet canonically established. And we can tell you that that work has already begun in your beautiful country. We can tell you that Our Lady of Good Help, the only approved apparition site in the United States, we helped them establish the confraternity there last year on October 7th. It was preceded, and what I'm talking about here is the calling for uh, enrollments. They had Holy Mass, a Eucharistic procession, and then they invited people to enroll in the confraternity. 1,100 members enrolled in the confraternity. And the director emailed the next day. He was so happy. And this, this October 7th, they're putting out that call again. The other significant place where it has been established is in New Jersey. I'm sure you've been there, uh, Father Mitch, the World Apostolate of Fatima. Mm -hmm. The actual uh, New Jersey shrine, we've established it there as well. So you can see that Pope Leo XIII's uh, beautiful, beautiful dream of just seeing the confraternity established is beginning to take root. And anybody can join this confraternity and we would encourage people to contact those two shrines and offer to, to do just what it said, to pray the rosary and know that you're doing it with the whole confraternity. And I think it's very important to remember 
uh, for those who saw this headline. The Atlantic Monthly, just a couple of weeks ago, had published an article talking about how Catholics have weaponized the rosary. <laughs> Traditional Catholics have weaponized the rosary. And they actually sounded kind of nervous to me. <laughs> and I thought, great, getting these folks nervous is a good thing. And I started to include the Atlantic Monthly in my daily rosary prayers yeah. and just make, you know, we, we should pray for Atlantic Monthly so that the weaponization of the rosary and saying prayers for them helps to lead to their conversion as well as everybody else. Yeah, and of course, uh, of course, Padre Pio himself called it the, the weapon, right? That right. This, was, this is the weapon. But of course, in a, in a peaceful, in a loving way, we want every single, even our worst enemies, we want to see them get to heaven. And the rosary, the rosary is the way, the way there, that is the way that our Lord, the Lord didn't need the rosary. He didn't necessarily need, but he, he willed it. He willed Our Lady. He willed her in our presence. He willed these miracles to happen at, at the shrine, at our, at our Lady of the Cape. He willed these miracles to happen to bring people close, to give us those signs. And that's why this film is so important, because we see the miracle of the ice bridge. We see the miracle uh, of the prodigy of the eyes that happened in the small shrine that Dennis was talking about. And we bring these to life so that people can, can, can grab onto this story which is which hasn't really been shared too widely perhaps no. because of perhaps because of the french english uh, uh not divide but the language divide if you will mm -hmm. and so uh, so to watch this film to see our lady's presence at a time when canada and the u.s did, didn't really exist as countries um and and to see how it happened is just it blew me away because i did not know uh, very much about this. I, I knew we had a shrine. I, I knew Captain La Madeleine. I knew a little bit about the story, but I had no idea of the richness of our faith, the richness of the Catholic faith, and how it uh, and how it evolved there, right around the time when Canada was being formed. Yeah. And if well, I may this... jump in, yeah, please. Uh, if I may jump in, if that's okay. Sure. Um, I think it's really important that we understand this is, as you said earlier, Kevin, this is not just a historical account. This is happening in real time today. And what I mean by that is Our Lady is writing each one of us into the story in our day. Providentially, uh, Father Mitch, you, you would not know this, but Father Calloway is in our film because yes. Our Lady made a point of the day that he was there to visit you in advance of his St. Joseph book. Yes. Angelina, my wife and I happened to be doing shows with Johnette. And if you can imagine, there was me and Father Calloway the very first time we ever met. He's talking to me about St. Joseph. I'm talking to him about Captain Le Madeleine and how these histories connect. And that's what propagated and, and allowed him to join, be part of the film. It's just remarkable. The second event which took place, because we really want people to know that this is Our Lady. This is Our Lady that is drawing us together in this day very concretely. So Father Lawrence Liu, who you heard the promoter general in that last clip as well, he is uh, in the Rosary Shrine in England. Of course, we don't know him from Adam. But if you can imagine, 
as the story of Our Lady of the Cape and as our renewal work began here and started spreading around the world, well, other people began to find out about it. So one day we reached out to Father Lawrence Liu to share with him what was taking place through the story of Our Lady of the Cape and the particular model that we had developed to enroll people in the confraternity around the world. On the very same day that we emailed him, a rosary promoter from Croatia emailed him, telling him to get in touch with this couple in Canada on the same day. And we've seen this kind of providential connection taking place over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Our Lady of the Rosary is making it very, very plain that this is how she wants to connect her children devotionally. And here's why, and I think this is important, and let's go to the Catechism uh, for a second to really relate about this. I mean, 1432 in the Catechism talks about conversion is first a work of the grace of God on our hearts. But this isn't something we can obviously manufacture. And then in 1431, it talks that we respond to that grace. We respond to that mercy. And we call the the rosary and the confraternity really this river of grace. So what unleashes this river of grace? Of course, it's the rosary. And this rosary unleashes this river of grace as we pray our aves collectively together but not to point to Mary, but to lead us all to the ocean of mercy, the message of divine mercy. That's what this film is about. It's about Mary being the mediatrix of all grace, leading us to the ocean of mercy. And here we are celebrating, and it's no coincidence that today is the feast of St. Faustina, and we're speaking of this today. This uh, is, is something that I think, again, will be very important for all of us to look at. We're going to show the whole video tonight at 10 p.m. It's called Bridge of Roses, the Story of Our Lady of the Cape. It'll be on tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, and it'll be repeated on Friday, October 7th, the Feast of the Holy Rosary, at 3.30 p.m., Eastern Time. Now, gentlemen, we need to take a little break. We'll come back in just a minute with you and anybody who calls in with questions. So please stay with us. First of all, if you would like some more information on how you can join this confraternity of the Holy Rosary, you can go to the Marian Devotional Movement's website. That website is rosarybridge.com. Rosarybridge.com. You get information on how to join the confraternity and become part of everybody praying. And, you know, 
it's not only that we, uh, I would encourage you to pray for Atlantic Monthly. <laughs> Lord knows I'm sure they'd be happy to have prayers for them. But think about all the people, not only politicians, but people in the pews of our churches, Catholic and non-Catholic alike, who don't have a clear sense of the meaning of life and they need prayer. And all the people who are outside the church that promote death, whether abortion, euthanasia, murder, theft, and all, we want to pray for these folks to come to love God and to obey His commandments. Uh, the, those who consider themselves Catholic but don't live the faith, and those who are outside the faith want everyone to be prayed for. And this is a great way to do it in the confraternity. One, the, one, of, the, one of the beautiful parts that you, when you're talking about churches and in the pews is, is Father Luc de Soleil. In, in this story, yes. he comes into the chapel and the church is empty. He is disillusioned. He's wondering, why, are no, why is no one coming? Why is no one coming to the church? And yet he, he walks in and right by the rosary confraternity altar, there is a pig with a rosary in its mouth. Well, no, wait, let me, was this pig Catholic? <laughs> we, we don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he left Pat. Maybe, maybe he left Catholic. But, but, he, uh, but he had a rosary in his mouth. Yeah, and, and, it, and it was a real sign to Father Luke that the rosary, he said, the rosary has dropped from men's hands and the pigs have picked him up. The animals have picked it up. And that's when he knelt down and he said, I want to reestablish the confraternity of the Holy Rosary in this place. And within a few years, thousands of people had joined the confraternity. Let's take a look at a clip of Father Luke. We are perched on the edge of the huge majestic St. Lawrence River, which covered with haze resembles a glowing furnace. Uh, Father Luke de Zillet was a man of dream. He was a man of vision. He had such an, a huge uh, drive, an inner drive, a spiritual drive. And uh, he arrived in a, sh a very small church and pff, nobody was there. There was nothing going on. I have come to a parish that should be thriving, but my pews are near empty. What is this indifference to the faith? He, he's been praying, God, give me an argument, kind of a, a convincing way to talk to the people. Help me to uh, get the good words to reach them. It was the eve of the ascension. For days I have begged and implored my parishioners to come to confession in anticipation of this great feast. I have been here all day and not one soul has come to receive the great gift from our Lord. Father Luke heads over to the chapel. He is discouraged. He just needs to pour his heart out. As he goes through the doors, he hears a scuffling noise on the confraternity side of the altar. It was a great, dirty, snorting pig scrambling on the step of the confraternity altar. In the pig's ugly snout was a rosary, which it was chewing and dragging all over the floor. The thought leaps to his mind. The pigs have picked up the rosary. The people have dropped the rosary. The people have dropped their faith. They've lost their faith. I fell to my knees in prayer. To Mary, my mother, I make this solemn vow to dedicate my life to spreading the confraternity and recitation of the most holy rosary. 
not only in my own parish, but throughout the diocese. You know, it's, and, you know, you know what's interesting about mm -hmm. this little side line, all behind the scenes, yeah. was, was the oblates, in order to, uh, normally, uh, the, Our Lady of the Cape statue has, this, has the crown on, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we had to obtain permission to remove the crown so that those reenactments could take place. And this was a big ask because it, it's only, I think it's been only removed once for some repair. And, 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 and so they had to remove this crown from this miraculous statue. And they allowed us to do that. And it was such a beautiful moment uh, to be able to, re to do those reenactments, to film those reenactments in the shrine where these miracles took place. And the reason you had to remove it is that at that time, at that time the crown yes. was not she, she had not been crowned until 1904, right. Right. and this was uh, 30 years back, yeah. Right, so that to be accurate, they had to have the crown removed. 20 years. And, you know, a parallel that, it's not an exact parallel by any means, but I've noticed as I just travel around, how many people wear a rosary around their neck, but they don't know how to pray it. They don't even know that there is any prayer associated with it. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's a commercial that I've been hearing about college football. And they say, you'll see all the Hail Marys. But they're talking about Hail Marys as a football strategy, not as a prayer. And if we Catholics let go of the rosary, it becomes a symbol of football and a decoration around one's neck, whereas it should be very much what we do in our prayer. And this is something that I think is important. Amen, Father Mitch. And just as we you know, build on what Kevin was saying in terms of uh, Father Luke's vow, We've actually been in the archives and have discovered his, we discovered his book, you know, with those 3,000 signatures. So let's think about this. Over five years, he enrolls, uh, you know, 3,000 souls, and that basically begins to turn this place around. So this is such a model for for renewal, because if you think about it, here is this dead and dying parish with as bad as it could get, you know, a pig chewing on a rosary. But because of this vow and because of the confraternity being established, the shrine becomes this Marian center with an image of Our Lady that has been canonically crowned not once, but twice. You see, she is Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception. She was donated in 1854. She only became known as Our Lady of the Cape as the story progresses. So canonically crowned on the 50th anniversary of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, and then canonically crowned again with a million people coming on pilgrimage. I can tell you that anybody who comes to this small stone chapel just is so enamored with the presence of Our Lady and obviously an encounter with the living God. It mm -hmm. is really that tangible, and it all stems from this one vow that Father Luke took 
after discovering the pig chewing on the rosary. So really, what a lesson for us. It doesn't matter how bad things can get. It can't get worse than a pig chewing on a rosary. And, no. we, and we barely touched on the, the, the name of the film, which is, which is Bridge of Roses. Yeah, you know, I, I was going to say, that was one of the things I wanted to make sure you covered. Why did you call it Bridge of Roses? Well, uh, we could have called it Bridge of Rosaries because that's really uh, what, what happened. There were many, many rosaries prayed so that they could build a bridge, that a bridge would form, a bridge of ice would form over the St. Lawrence River so that they could build a new chapel because the people were coming in droves. After the confraternity started, the people were coming in droves to this parish and he made a vow. He made a vow, good Father Luc de Soleil, made a vow that he would not tear down the shrine, that he would, that he would that he would uh, uh, dedicate it to her honor and they would build a new shrine, uh, build a new uh, chapel. And so uh, they needed to get the stones across, but it was such a, it was such a, a warm winter. And, and, and right around the Feast of St. Joseph, they were, they were about ready to give up, give up hope that they could get these stones across. But he said, no, get on, the, get on your knees and pray. Get on your knees and pray. And then, of course, there's, the, there's, this, there's this storm. Well, can we show the oh, clip? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's do all that. Right, all right. Let's take a look at the clip of how, how this happened. I didn't know we were playing the clip. Yeah, let's do it. it. All Come right. <laughs> it was the vigil of St. Joseph. Father Duguay had started out with a group of men under the leadership of Fermin Cadat and Flavian Barassa. Father Duguay remembers the words of Father Luke that evening, who was in his sickbed. I told them, take every precaution but have no fear. Our Lady will look after you. There were just a few of us that went down to the river that night. Father Luke had asked the parishioners to pray for a bridge of ice to form over the St. Lawrence so as to be able to bring the building stones needed for the new church. We would need a miracle. I kept pushing my cane through the snow. I could feel the rushing current of the river. Firmin Cadot led the way. He crawled forward, feeling with his hand for a patch of ice that could take the weight of his knee. Father de Salette is up in his room, sick, but he continues to pray. As weak as his body might be, the strength of his spirit through prayer brings about a miracle. The three of us, we were crawling on that ice as water was passing underneath us. God only knew if we would reach the other side. Thirty men worked with the light of torches flooding that fragile diagonal passage without one of them so much as wetting a foot. It wasn't a bridge of ice holding us up. It was a bridge of rosaries. While the men worked, their wives and children were at home and kept up a chain of rosaries that matched the men's labors hour by hour. In the end, 175 sleighs filled with stones crossed that bridge. We had witnessed a miracle. And to think about how these are horses who, these, these are draft horses, so they're pretty heavy. I mean, you got, you got to... You got In to, a sledge. Yeah. Loaded with stones. Yes. And, and just weeks prior, it was just, it was just, it, it was water. 
Yeah. You know, but this one storm, and it made all the papers of of the day, uh, the secular papers too. They they couldn't understand how this bridge of ice had formed. Now, of course, they're walking out like Peter did on the water, step by step, and they were they were reinforcing it, and and it took a few weeks to reinforce it. But that kind of showed God working with their men, working with God to make this bridge possible. And uh, but people were amazed. In fact, I, I, had a, I had an email after, we, after the film, uh, we released the film from a, uh, a niece or granddaughter of Fermin Cadet, who was, was one of the men who walked on that bridge. He was the first, first he was one of the men who work, work, worked on that bridge. And she said, that was my grandfather who walked on that bridge of ice, that miraculous bridge of ice over the St. Lawrence. And so folks understand the St. Lawrence River is not a little creek. Oh, no. This is a wide river that ocean-going ships <laughs> still sail, correct? Father Absolutely. Mitch, I'm, I'm actually broadcasting overlook. This is where I'm broadcasting. Right outside my window is the St. Lawrence, the, the exact spot where the ice bridge took place. And all you got to do is be here and look out and you go, oh, my goodness, the faith and what an incredible miracle that took place here. Because you're right. Every day we see these huge steam liners going by cargo ships, you know, with all these containers. And right. you just are amazed. You go, wow, how did these guys do this? It's just incredible. It's yeah. incredible. And it would, you're talking about a mile and a half or so, correct? Not, not quite that, because we, we, we deal in kilometers up here, but it's still, it's a good, it's a good trek. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and to, to know that they went down there uh, and, and with the rosary in hand, poking their, I mean, poking, poking their canes through the snow just to make sure that they could go the next inch and the next inch and the next inch and carried, carried all the way across. I mean, it, it, it truly was a miracle. And it didn't just stay one night, did it? No, well, it was weeks. Yeah, I yeah. think three weeks, right, Dennis? Uh, well, actually, it was a novena of days. So that's what's so cool about it. You know, it started on the vigil of St. Joseph, and by we, we, we get to the next novena of days, and, and it's gone. So, okay. it, yeah. yeah, that's, and about 150 carts came over. It's just an incredible account, really. And it's almost hard to believe, but it is factual. I mean, it took place. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, and that made it possible to build the new yeah. church. Yeah, so we, we don't see that church anymore if you go there. Uh, the church was, was uh, uh, torn down. Uh, but it is, there's a picture of the church that they built. Uh, but they kept the stones. They kept the stones that were brought over. And you could, so that's the new church you're looking at right there. This is the new church that they built. And, of course, that was torn down to build this, this beautiful shrine that is there now. <laughs> but the stones are in the back wall of the annex there of the, uh, of the, of the old shrine where Dennis is right now. Yeah. Correct. And, and the basilica is called the Basilica of the Rosary. And you know what? It's, let, let's talk about the Oblates a little bit. Their heritage. They, first of all, when Bishop uh, Cloutier in 1902 was wondering, you know, who should take over the shrine because Blessed Frederick, who you find out a lot more about in the film, an amazing Franciscan, of course, we just celebrated St. Francis yesterday, and 
um, Father Duguay, I mean, they had, they were toast. They had been running these pilgrimages year after year after year. So they needed a congregation. So uh, Blessed Frederick and Father Duguay, uh, Father Frederick at the time, the good Father Frederick, they go to Bishop Cloutier and they recommend the Oblates, who of course had ran a number of shrines in France. So the Oblates really take possession in 1902 and they completely transform this place. The legacy that we are building on here of the Oblates is second to none. You just walk the grounds and you are amazed. And I almost consider the basilica behind me even more of a miracle than the miracle of the ice bridge. We're talking about something that was envisioned right even after they built the Ice Bridge Church because people were starting to come and it was already becoming too small. They literally had to move their monastery on rails to make room for this basilica. And think about it, they began fundraising in 1936 only to see its completion in 1963. And when you look at the annals, this is, by the way, these are these monthly annals, incredible documentation where you find out about, you know, really in real time what was happening in Christendom all through those years. Think about it. They're raising money, pennies at a time, to build this basilica through the Second World War even. The faith is just remarkable. And it finally comes into being in 1963 during the Second Vatican Council. Just an incredible story. Important for viewers to know, if you go to the shrine now, you will see the old stone chapel. You will see the old stone chapel that, where, where the miracle took place uh, of the prodigy of the eyes, which we haven't really talked about yet. But the old stone chapel, uh, but you'll also see this beautiful basilica that Dennis was talking about. And to walk around the grounds is to be part of history. And it's so beautiful. Kind of Canada's best unkept secret, I guess, or yeah. uh, best secret. Yeah, and you know, this is something that, especially now that the pandemic is over and both the United States and Canada are opening up for more travel and such, this would be a great destination. Especially when you, as you know, I saw the documentary and we've been talking, I've been impressed about the role of Our Lady's evangelization in North America. Canada up in the north at the St. Lawrence River, and then Guadalupe down in the south in Mexico. And that from one end to the other, North America, Our Lady has been very much present to help in this evangelization process. And I mentioned this on my show yesterday, that uh, you'll hear some people who speak without paying close attention to the whole world, they'll say that, you know, Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. That's not true. It's actually Christianity. Africa is becoming a Christian continent. And China has a couple hundred million Christians. They have almost as many, many Christians as we have in the United States of people. And that's remarkable. And we see a decline in the West. Canada's faith is challenged, you know, quite a bit. 
by the, the culture. United States, Western Europe, Australia, New Zealand, these Western countries are challenged in faith and people are not going to church. They've lost a lot of faith. So it's time for us to take up the tools and weapons if you want to just keep the spiritual. far left uh, <laughs> uh, scared. The that's, spiritual that's so weapons right. like the rosary to evangelize our culture. Go ahead, Dennis. Yeah, Mary's, Mary's blueprint, which you're really kind of alluding to, and that is, you know, how to connect us. And, and really, it's, it's brilliant. Her blueprint is to connect Marian shrines throughout the world by means of the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what language you speak, you know, well, mm -hmm. we, we all can pray the rosary and be connected. And what's nice about that is each shrine can have their autonomous story, but yet we're ecclesially connected, as Father Rogers said in the earlier clip, uh, by means of the confraternity of the Most Holy Rosary. And certainly, you know, the last place one might almost think that this could begin from is this little spot in North America, but it did once in 1867, and we believe that is beginning again in our day with this story of Our Lady of the Cape, Our Lady of the Rosary. And just a, a reference to Our Lady of Guadalupe, both Our Lady of the Cape and Our Lady of Guadalupe were, ca uh, were canonically crowned nine years apart on October 12th. So nine years apart. So there's a real beautiful connection there as well, yeah. Father Mitch. Yeah, yeah. So this is a very important thing. Um, uh, again, we want to encourage you to see this documentary, Bridge of Roses, the story of Our Lady of the Cape, tonight, 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Again, on Friday, the Feast of the Most Holy Rosary, October 7th, at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find out more at Bridge of Roses Film dot com and find out more about this and uh, we have only about a minute or so left but you have you're working on another film for 2023 yeah it's it's uh well thanks for thanks for asking yeah uh, we're working on a um a film about uh well you saw some of the companions there the founder of the companions of the cross some of the companions uh, including bishop scott mckaig and and uh and father uh uh, Father uh, Saint Croix um, and Father, um, uh, yeah. So, so a, a number of companions were in were in this film, and I started to get to know uh, a little bit about uh, a little bit about the companions and their beautiful story yeah. of Father Bob Bedard and the founding of this wonderful order called the Companions of the Cross. Right. And that is uh, that's uh, that's the project I'm working on right now. Great. All right. Well, again, uh, you can find out also more about. Uh, from their website about the confraternity um, and uh, go to the um, website rosarybridge.com and join it and make your commitment to pray the rosary. Thank you both for being with us from Canada and here. That's what we say. We bring guests from around the world and want to bless all of you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We can bring you this show and all of our other programs only because the network is brought to you by you, keeping us in between your gas bill, your electric bill, and your cable bill. 
That's how we pay our bills too. That's how our Lord inspired Mother Angelica to have it go. So thank you for your support and God bless you all. Thank you.